we are continuing the series that we started uh, last summer, uh, where we were taking a year to look at our Ten Commitments as a church, to remember what those Ten Commitments are, to um, gird up our foundation as a church to make sure that that's sure and steady. And I told you then that some of the commitments that we have, I would preach whole series on, like we did on authentic fellowship or God-centered worship or community ministry, and that some of our commitments as a church would receive a single sermon. And that's what we have tonight. Um, Those that I felt like we hadn't spent as much time on as I would like, we are preaching full series on. Those commitments that we've spoken about more often in the past, I'm simply preaching one sermon as a way of reminder, as a way to say, let's not forget this commitment. It's important. And so tonight we're going to talk about our commitment to preaching and to expository preaching. And so that's why I have you in 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you remember, the Apostle Paul writes this letter when he is near the end of his life. Uh, He is imprisoned in Rome, and the Apostle Paul thinks he sees the end of his race quickly approaching. Uh, Just as Jesus' followers deserted him after our Savior was arrested, so Paul, at the end of his life, suddenly finds himself quite deserted by his friends. He sits in Roman custody, alone. But just as Jesus had John, who was still there as Jesus hung on the cross, so Paul has his Timothy. This young man is Paul's beloved child in the faith. Timothy had often traveled with Paul. And when Paul was driven out of a town, it would be Timothy that would stay behind to help the new church get established there. It was Timothy who often visited congregations on Paul's behalf, delivering letters from Paul and bringing Paul back, an update on how that particular church was doing. Right now, it is likely that Timothy is in Ephesus, and he is helping the leaders of that church to lead that church faithfully. And so I want to read, beginning in 2 Timothy 4, and we're going to begin Uh, with verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itch- itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Stop there. Let me begin by making four observations from this passage. Uh, First note here, the seriousness of preaching. The seriousness of preaching. Uh, All of the elements of worship are important and even essential. Uh, The singing in our worship services, the reading of scripture, the the Lord's Supper, um, praying together, giving of tithes and offering, 
all of these elements of worship are vitally important. But we find the strongest language in the New Testament used concerning this element of preaching. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Notice what Paul is doing there. He is calling on God the Father and Christ the Son as witnesses to this charge. He is telling Timothy that even as Timothy reads this letter, he is receiving this charge from Paul in the very presence of God and in the very presence of Jesus Christ. This charge that Paul is delivering to Timothy is not a charge received in secret. Timothy cannot pretend he didn't receive it. No, God bears witness. Timothy, this is your charge. You must do it. Paul goes further. He says that Timothy is receiving this charge in the presence of Christ who is to judge the living and the dead. Timothy, you will one day have to give an account before the judge of all the earth with what you did with this charge. And then as if that wasn't enough, as if that doesn't enforce how important and serious Timothy was to take this, Paul says he is charging Timothy by the appearing of Christ and by the very kingdom of Christ. Timothy, you are a servant of the Master. And at a time that we do not know, your Master is going to return and consummate His kingdom. Will He find you a faithful servant? Will He find you a faithful workman? Will He find you fulfilling this charge? And so in verse 1, we see the sacred charge that is given, not only to Timothy, but to all who have been called as pastors. It is a sacred duty that must be performed if God's people are to be cared for and if God is to be rightly worshipped. Preaching is central to the life of a local church. And since it is in the corporate worship of God that pastors primarily lead and care for God's people, preaching is to be central in that worship. This has been a hallmark of Baptists from the very beginning of a people called Baptist. One of the things that marked Baptists was this conviction. We believe preaching is central to the church. Preaching was primary in the earthly ministry of Jesus. How does Matthew describe the beginning of the ministry of Christ? From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In our series on repentance, we looked at that verse again and again and again, and we said, notice that when Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry, it's a ministry of repentance. But we could also have said, Notice that when Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry, it's a ministry of preaching repentance. Yes, Jesus healed. Yes, Jesus performed miracles. Yes, Jesus did acts of compassion. But the the center of the ministry of Christ was preaching. In Luke 4, we find Jesus in Simon's house at sundown. He's healing the sick. He's, He's casting out demons But when the sun rose, Jesus departed 
And the people went after him and, and they asked him to stay. But Jesus told them this in Luke 4.43. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And Luke then says he was preaching in all the synagogues of Judea. And so here was the main thing. Here is what Jesus says is the very purpose for which God sent him in his earthly ministry. He was sent to preach. The apostles were also primarily preachers. Yes, the apostles performed miracles. Yes, the apostles cast out demons. But this was not their main mission. Their main mission was to make disciples, and disciples are made through the proclamation of truth. And so as it was for Christ, so it was with His disciples, His apostles, and all those who lead God's churches. The primary and center of a pastor's ministry is the aspect of preaching. Every other duty of the pastor is secondary. So that's the seriousness of preaching. Second, notice that pastors are to preach the word. Right? Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. The the word of God as found in the scriptures. The word of God as revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has spoken and it is His word that pastors are to proclaim. Pastors are to serve as ambassadors of God to God's people. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, Any true definition of preaching must say that the preacher is there to deliver the message of God, a message from God to those people. If you prefer the language of Paul, he is an ambassador for Christ. That is what he is. He has been sent He is a commissioned person and he is standing there as the very mouthpiece of God and of Christ to address these people. In other words, the preacher is not there merely to talk to them. He is not there to entertain them. He is there, and I want to emphasize this, Lloyd-Jones says, to do something to those people. He is there to produce results of various kinds. He is there to influence people. And He is not merely to influence a part of them. He is not only to influence their minds or only their emotions or merely to bring pressure to bear upon their wills and to induce them to some kind of activity. He is there to deal with the whole person. His preaching is meant to affect the whole person at the very center of life. Lloyd-Jones says, Preaching should make such a difference to a man who is listening that he is never the same again. Preaching, in other words, is a transaction between the preacher and the listener. It does something for the soul of man, for the whole of the person, the entire man. It deals with him in a vital and radical manner. If that's what preaching is, then Mount Hermon, I would suggest that the only message we should ever preach is the Word of God. Because it is the Word of God alone that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
It is as pastors expound the word of God, opening it up, displaying its glory, that people are changed. The power must never be in the preacher. It must be in his unleashing of the truths of God. Whatever else the preacher might include in his sermon, the central issue must always be the content of what God has said. All true preaching must be at its heart expository. And this doesn't mean necessarily always working verse by verse through books of the Bible. Rather, expository preaching simply means preaching that exposits a text. So you know what it means to deposit something, right? You you put it in. We don't want to do that. We want to do expository preaching we're pulling something out we're we're drawing out of a text expository preaching is the kind of preaching that seeks to draw the truths of god's word out of the text faithful pastors don't want to deposit their own truths into the passage they want to exposit the truths that are already there which god has given us for our good preaching verse by verse helps avoid the pastor's tendency to neglect certain passages and to neglect, therefore, certain truths. Third observation. Note that pastors are to preach the word in every season. In season and out of season, Paul says. Are the people receptive? Preach the word. Are the people not receptive? Preach the word. Is God's truth welcomed and lauded by the culture? Then preach it boldly. Is God's truth not welcomed by the culture? Still preach it boldly. The seasons change, but the obligation upon the preacher does not. In every season, preachers are to preach the word. And then fourth, note in this passage that pastors are to preach with complete patience with complete patience. Preachers are not to stand before God's people and preach with little concern for the people themselves. Just the opposite. Pastors are to care for God's people as God Himself does. Pastors are to be utmost concerned that the people understand the message, that the message has power, that that it's changing the people. Pastors are to be patient with people with their questions, with their concerns, with their slowness to believe, with their slowness to obey. Pastors are just one part of the body of Christ. And though pastors have received the calling to preach, they too know how slow they can be to understand and to believe and to obey. We do not believe in a heavy distinction between clergy and laity. Pastors are not clergy looking down upon laity, proclaiming God's word to to those people. No. Preachers are to speak to older men as fathers, to older women as mothers, to younger men as brothers, and to younger women as sisters in all purity. In other words, the preacher is is just one member of the family who happens to have been called to deliver God's word to the family as a whole. 
But the pastor is not disconnected from the family. He is one of them, and he needs the word just as much as all of them, probably even more so. And so the pastor must learn to preach with complete patience. Pastors must never use the word of God to beat people over the head. Rather, he is to use the word of God to lead the church into greater love for Christ, greater faith in Christ, and greater obedience to Christ. Now, isn't it strange that of all the means God could have chosen to transform sinners and to make them holy, he has chosen for preaching to be primary. Isn't it strange that of all the acts that could be central in our worship, He has chosen for one fallen sinner to stand up in front of other fallen sinners and speak words. How different this worship is from the drunkenness and the sexual immorality and the fits of mindless ecstasy that characterized pagan worship in most cities of the Roman Empire in the first century. How different this worship service is even from Eastern religions which focus on emptying the mind. In God's worship, one person stands before others, speaks to their hearts and minds so that they will be edified and so that God will be more greatly esteemed in their lives. In the first century, there were many traveling orators who would go from city to city and people would pay them to proclaim their philosophy. These were the the self-help gurus of the first century. And people would pay them big money because they didn't have bookstores and television and internet. So to hear what what the latest Oprah Winfrey of their day, to hear what the latest Dr. Phil of their day had to say, they had to actually come to your town. And you would pay money and you would listen to them and people would eat up the things that they had to say. These People made good money doing this. Paul says this is not what God's preachers are to do. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Friends, this is the Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. Paul knew what it was to speak and to write eloquently. And it was fine when he did. But that was never his goal. His goal was never to impress people with how good he was with words. His goal was to faithfully deliver God's truth. To deliver it clearly. In a way that the people would understand it and believe it. And see the glory of God in it. Isn't it amazing that God uses the feeble efforts of the word of God being explained by preachers to save souls and to grow people into Christ-likeness? We think somebody being healed of cancer is a great miracle. And it is. 
We think uh, that, that miraculous stories we hear of people being saved at the last moment from danger is amazing, and, and those stories are. But the greatest miracles that happen on planet Earth are dead sinners being made alive. And in the wisdom of God, that happens most often through what we're doing right now. It doesn't look glitzy, right? People on the outside don't look in and say, there are amazing things happening in there. But there are, if you see with the eyes of faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's staggering. Men, step up here and preach a message about God dying. And dead sinners are raised to life. The Jews say, that's ridiculous, that's blasphemy. Gentiles say, how foolish. That's not going to help you have a better marriage. That's not going to teach you how to parent. They only understood. Changes everything. So why has God chosen to work this way? Why has he chosen to work through preaching? We've already seen when we did our study on worship that that God's word is to be read publicly in the worship service. The, The scriptures are to be read aloud in the worship service. Why add preaching to that? Think about it. I am a feeble, fallen person. Right? I am a, a man with faltering lips and, and sometimes bad vocabulary and certainly times when I get the truth wrong. Would it not be better for our souls if we just read the Bible the whole time? That's the Word of God. Why did God say, don't just read my Word, have somebody talk about it? Why? Why do we need preaching and not just the reading of Scripture itself? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, we need the Word of God exalted before us. We need the Word of God exalted before us. You see, it it would be one thing if we came to church each Sunday in each service with hearts eager to receive and revere the Word of God. As a preacher, I would love a congregation sitting on the edge of their seats, heads leaning forward, all eager to hear the word of God read. And I get to the end of Jeremiah 29, and you say, keep going. Let's do Jeremiah 30. 31. Don't, let's, let's just do the whole Old Testament tonight. We'll stay all night long. That would be great if that's where we were. But the truth is, that's not where our hearts typically are. Our hearts are prone to grow tired of the Word of God. Our hearts are prone to denigrate the Word of God. Even when we as Christians confess with our mouths that the Bible is the Word of God, 
worth more than all the gold on planet earth, worth more than our very lives, yet still our hearts are prone to take that very same word for granted. Indeed, we're tempted to yawn as the word of God is being presented to us. Our minds are tempted to latch onto other thoughts rather than the message that is being read to us from Almighty God. And so one great purpose of preaching is for pastors to help God's people reverence the word. Pastors are to help God's people see the glory of each passage and therein the glory of God himself. Faithful preaching should always leave us with greater love for God's word, not less love for God's word. Faithful preaching does not detract from or distract from God's word. Faithful preaching helps people love the word more. Listen to Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards said, God glorifies himself towards the creatures in two ways. One, by appearing to their understanding. And two, in communicating himself to their hearts. And in their rejoicing and delighting in and enjoying the manifestations which he makes of himself, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. Close quote. And so think about the scriptures being read to a church family. What are the dangers? One danger is that our hearts would just not be in the mood to hear the word of God being read. And so we just sit through the word of God being read to us and we sit unaffected. It's it's the word of almighty God that we do not deserve to hear and yet here it is being read and we sit there and we just sit unaffected. Another danger is that we might sit there eager to hear it but we don't understand it. And then a third danger is that we might be eager to listen and we do understand what is being said but it's just not affecting us. And so preaching has been commanded by God to help us avoid all three of those things. Preaching addresses the congregation and preaching is meant to draw your attention away from the stuff of this world to the word of God. And then preaching is meant to help you understand what it says. And then preaching is meant to help you see how important it is and the weight of it and the glory of God in it so that you are affected by it. This is why all true preaching has both head and heart in it. The sermon should address the mind using reason and logic and persuasive arguments and point number one and point number two and point number three. That's speaking to your mind. Your heart doesn't get excited about lists, right? That's that's speaking to the mind. That's understanding. But we also have to affect the heart. This is why if the preacher contradicts emotionally, What he is saying intellectually, the sermon is unhelpful. If the preacher speaks about important things, but speaks about those important things in a casual and reckless way, he undercuts the message of God. So for example, when we were in Romans chapter 8, 
talking about the glories of being adopted by God. If a preacher could stand before you and speak about the joys of being adopted by God without smiling once, without his own delight in having been adopted coming through, it would be doubtful that God's glory would really be seen or savored or loved or worshipped by the people hearing that message. But when the preacher is addressing the mind, and also speaking from his own heart, in his own heart's dealings with God's word. That exalts the word of God before the people. When the people see that the preacher himself is affected by God's word, it leads the people to be affected as well. So this is what John Piper says. There are always two parts to true worship. We can say it in two pairs. There is seeing God and savoring God. And you can't separate these. You must see him to savor him. And if you don't savor him when you see him, you insult him. Or another pair would be this. In worship, there is always understanding with the mind. And there is always feeling in the heart. Understanding must always be the foundation of feeling. Or all we have is baseless emotionalism. But understanding of God that does not give rise to feeling for God becomes mere intellectualism, which is deadness. And this is why the Bible continually calls us to think and consider and meditate and remember on the one hand, and to rejoice and fear and mourn and delight and hope and be glad on the other hand. Both are essential for worship. Preaching is the chief element of the worship service because it is through preaching that God helps us see His glory with our minds, sense His glory with our hearts, resulting in God truly being honored in us and we being transformed by Him. This gives me a chance to address a little bit of the the issue of why I tend to preach what some consider to be lengthy sermons. Um, some of you think I preach short sermons because you used to belong to churches where the typical sermon was an hour. Others may think I preach long sermons because you grew up in churches like I did where the typical sermon was 20 or 25 minutes, sometimes shorter. So why do I tend to preach in the 38 to 42 minute ballpark? Why, why do I preach the length that I do? Well, I do, first of all, because there is a lot to say. And I want you to see that in every passage of Scripture, there are glorious truths to be seen and treasures to be dug out. This is why sometimes I take time to preach several sermons on a single verse. I want you to see and sense just how much goodness and glory there is in every part of God's Word. I want you to know this so that when you're doing your own personal Bible study, You'll read carefully and observantly and learn how to pull out those truths for yourself. I want you to understand just how great a gold mine God has given you in His Word. Every verse is just another path to great treasure. I don't want to give you three points from Romans 8 and move on. (laughs) Right? I want you to see that certain portions of God's Word are so weighty and so wonderful that you could spend a hundred lifetimes studying them and you still would not have gotten to the fullest depths of the glory of God in those passages. Second, I preach longer sermons than some of you are used to in your past 
because I want you to see that the word of God is worthy of your attention and your careful study. We do not worship a trivial God, and He did not give us a trivial Bible. He is worthy of our time, and His word is worthy of our focus. I want to communicate that in our sermons. Now, why do I not preach an hour? Part of it is because I found I can't make it an hour uh, preaching before I get too tired. Um, another reason is because, as some people have said, the head can't handle more than the tail can handle. And after 40 minutes of sitting in one place, even in our nice, comfortable chairs, and every time people come to our church, they talk about how much they love our chairs. And, and they are very comfortable, but even after 40 minutes, the most eager church members begin to get weary. In fact, if we're really listening to a sermon and we're seeking to have our hearts and our minds engaged in it, um, I think our heads and our hearts are often weary after 40 minutes of seeking to listen to the sermon. And so I, I think it is important that we as Christians enjoy the preaching of God's word and I want it to be something that we delight in even as we worship God through faithful listening and considering what is being said. Okay, so our first answer to why we need preaching is that we need the Word of God being exalted before us. Let me quickly give you the other two. Second, we need the Word explained to us. We need the Word explained to us. One of the primary parts of preaching is helping to bring clarity to those passages that may be unclear. Our verses here say that preachers are to preach with complete patience and teaching. Patience and teaching. Patience and teaching. First Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. So instruction is vital to good preaching. In Nehemiah 8, we read of God's people who had been brought back into the promised land, who are now being taught by Ezra and the religious leaders. And listen to this. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. And they lifted up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then hear this. It's a list of names. Bear with me. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Beliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is a model of what preaching is to be. The Word of God read, and then pastors helped to give the sense of what has been read so that the people more clearly understand. Those who labor in preaching are able to give themselves to the study of the Bible in order to better serve others. Other men, women in this room, you have given yourself to certain trades, to certain works in order to serve society as a whole. Pastors give themselves to the study of Scripture. And because of the faithful financial support of churches like this one, Vocational pastors are able to spend their work lives becoming skillful at understanding the Word of God. Also, we must also remember that we are not the first people that the Spirit of God has given understanding and illumination to. 
We stand on the shoulders of giants from the past 2,000 years that the Spirit has led into better and clearer understanding of God's Word. But who has time to read commentaries? Who has time to read these theology books and these books produced by the past in which the Spirit was helping these other people understand hard passages and hard doctrines? The average person who may even want to do that will simply find they don't have the time. But if they could, they would benefit so much from the insights that God gave these faithful people of old. Well, the preacher is able to take the time to learn from these folks of the past in order to share the fruits of that learning with the congregation of God's people. The preacher works to hone the skill of interpretation. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has need not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So there it is. Pastors are to handle the word of truth rightly, and this means time spent in the study Quiet, doors closed, Bible open, commentaries open, mind working, praying, Spirit, give me discernment. Teach me to interpret well. So we need preaching to have the word exalted before us. We need preaching to have the word explained to us. And finally, we need preaching to have the word applied to us have the word applied to us you just heard paul say that a pastor is to exhort god's people this means the pastor grabs our attention and he calls us to believe or to obey what we have heard in god's text the exhortation means bringing the word of god to bear upon our lives right here right now that's application You are being confronted with the Word of God. How will you now respond? The preacher doesn't just explain the message. He then brings the message into our lives. To use the words of Timothy, he reproves us and he rebukes us, comforts us and encourages us, all depending on the message of the passage and all depending on the current state of our souls. Indeed, every Sunday I know that there are some people who come into this sanctuary comfortable, who need to be provoked into obedience. And there are some people who come in here being obedient, but discouraged, and they need to be comforted. As one saying goes, the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. But in all things, the preacher is to bring the word of God to bear on our lives so that we become more than just hearers. The goal is that we become doers of the word. The books of the Bible were written in an ancient context. You will not find mention of a single cell phone in the pages of the Bible. Not one automobile ever comes up. I thought of a joke, but I won't tell it. I'll tell it later. Preachers aren't to entertain, right? God intended for His Word, which was first revealed in ancient times, to shape the way we see the world and live today. Preachers are to serve as a bridge between the ancient text and our modern contemporary world. Preachers are to connect glorious gospel truth with the nitty-gritty of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in 2015. So I'm almost done. Listen one more time to Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, A young philosopher went one day to Epictetus, 
to ask him for advice. And the reply that Epictetus gave this young man is also very good advice for preachers. He said, The philosopher's lecture room is a surgery. When you go away, you ought to have felt not pleasure, but pain. For when you came in, something is wrong with you. One man has put his shoulder out. Another has an abscess. Another has a headache. Am I the surgeon then to sit down and give you a string of fine sentences that you may praise me and then go away? The man with the dislocated arm, the man with the abscess, the the man with the headache, to leave just as you came? Is it for this that the young men come away from their homes and leave their parents and their kinsmen and their prosperity? To say bravo for you and your fine moral conclusions? Is that what Socrates did or Zeno or Cleanthes? This is most important for the preacher. These people do not come just as minds or as intellects. They come as total persons in the midst of life. With all of its attendant circumstances and its problems, with all of its difficulties and its trials, and the business of the preacher is not only to remember that, but to preach accordingly. He is dealing with living persons, people who are in real need and in real trouble, sometimes not consciously. And he is to make them aware of that, and he is to deal with that. And that is the living transaction. So you see, God gave us preaching to serve us by bringing his authoritative, infallible, soul-piercing word to bear upon our lives so that it changes us and affects us. How should this sermon affect you? I hope it will make you more thankful for the gift of preaching. I hope it will make you more committed to hearing God's word preached Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings. Maybe it will encourage you to get more sleep on Saturday nights so you can be a more engaged and active listener on Sunday morning. I certainly hope this message will move you to pray for me and for Pastor Merle that we would be faithful expositors of the word of God. More than anything, I hope this message will move us all to come to the time of preaching every Sunday with hungry, earnest, expectant hearts, calling on our God to do great things in us as we feast upon his word. May God help the preaching of this church, and may he help us for Christ's sake. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.